Hey, I'm Robert Bordelon Pearson. This is Blue Collar Bible Scholar. And if you're on Facebook, you saw a brief attempt at live that did not work because it disconnected part of the way through. I deleted it. We're starting over. We're doing another thing. This is a biblical ergology today. Theology is uh, etymologically what the word means based on the origin of the word is study of God. Um, in this specific area, we're also talking about reality itself. There's uh, is God made all reality, so studying God, you're going to reflexively understand reality a little better. Now, when it comes to theology, we're already assuming Christian theology right now. I am, for the purposes of this, we're narrowing it down. Uh, there are generally two approaches, systematic theology and biblical theology. Systematic theology relying, uh, it starts with human logic and reason and our ability to know things, and then it uses that to build an argument for a biblical worldview. Whilst biblical theology assumes the Bible is divinely inspired, revealed by God, and uses that then to perform our view of reality and instruct our, our understanding of God. Now, that's not to say biblical theology doesn't use logic or that systematic theology doesn't use the Bible. It's what are you starting with and what do you tend to rely on more heavily as you approach um, I personally am a biblical theology guy. The only way you know stuff about God is he reveals that stuff to you. Now, the, the ancients felt that God's divine aspects were clearly observable in nature. But uh, I would argue a lot of stuff is clearly observable in nature. Um, and you only realize the stuff that's clearly observable in nature that is also godly because it matches what the Bible says. So, that's my mileage. Um, I think divine revelation precedes human logic because God's the one who gave us the ability to think in the first place. And then everything kind of builds from that. So use logic and the brains God gave us to simply look at the word he gave us, look at creation and everything meshes and fits together. So, all of, within theology, all of the different areas that we look at in the world around us have their own fancy names. Specifically, in Christianity, we're looking at the nature of man. We're looking at uh, the mechanics and nature of our salvation. All these little details and stuff. Uh, soteriology is the theology of our salvation. Anthropology is the theology of uh, man. Uh, Hamartiology is the theology of sin. Mariology for uh, the Catholics, the study of uh, Mary, Jesus' mother. All of these ologies, right? Today, I want to do ergology. So, I didn't really make up a word so much as followed a standard naming convention. The Greek name for the thing, followed by an ology. So, you have... Uh, Ergos or ergon, depending on whether or not it's a verb or a noun, or ergo. Not ego, ergo. And it is the Greek word for work. 
whether it's a verb or a noun, it's basically the same root. And then a study, study of work. This is a theology of work. And I don't think, I think it's a problem that there hasn't been any sort of official articulation on the uh, scholarly theological front. So I cover this in my book, Blue Collar Blind Spot. Uh, I've got a link in the description or whatever. I cover in a lot more detail um, and use Bible verses for my, my framework and description. Uh, if uh, modern evangelical media has kind of ignored blue collar uh, accidentally, but it's systemic, so it's going to keep happening and get worse over time. Now, one of the reasons that this has gotten as bad as it has is that there hasn't been an official, uh, in an official capacity, an interaction with the idea of work. And I think that's a problem because it's uh, an important part of our human experience. And I would argue our purpose for life. It's the why we're here. God tells you why we're here. You know, what is the meaning of life? Uh, if you're a man, it's to work and protect. The Bible says it clearly because that's what the word to means. Genesis 2.15. I'm sorry to get in the weeds a bit. I'm, I'm still laying groundwork for this. So... Blue-collar guys, are their identity is more entwined with what they do for a living than white-collar guys tend to be. That's because white-collar tends to have more time and energy for leisure. Blue-collar tends to not have as much time and energy for leisure. You come home more physically tired, and you have less vacation time to engage in leisure, so it's a smaller part of how you identify, how you describe yourself. Obviously, we all identify as Christians, but there are other sub-categories that we um, identify with. Right, father, husband, friend, brother, electrician. So blue-collar guys, the um, what they identify as is much more connected to their vocation than other, other things. So not having a strong theology of work, not having a strong, clearly articulated biblical Christian framework for how to go to work every day has been a failing. So, because of that, here we are. I'm going to jump into it. I got a list of verses in the description that I use to frame my understanding of work. There are obviously tons of more verses. This is to just narrow it down. I've got about three or four out of Genesis and then First uh, Thessalonians. I forget the numbers off the top of my head. I just typed in a minute ago. And uh, Colossians 3, 14 or so. And that's it. So in Genesis, we see three things. The definition of work, uh, man's purpose connected to that work, and then work the work of man's hands becoming cursed. And so that sets up our starting point. So, let's start with a definition of work. A biblical definition of work. I do remember this, Noah. It's Genesis 2.2 is the very first time the Hebrew word for work. Uh, no, I don't remember what it is. I'd know it if I saw it. And it refers to any kind of work in general. It's just literally ergon, work. It's the Hebrew equivalent of that, where you could use it for just about anything. 
and uh, it's used for the first time in the whole Bible, right there, after heaven and earth has been created, all the animals, man, all of it, and it says that on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. So it uses work, and it's everything that God did. So, having been made in the image of God, and now put on the earth to do work, we're going to use that understanding to inform what work is. Obviously, um, ex, nihilo, ex nihilo, making stuff from nothing is a little outside of our field of ability. Okay. But, building things from scratch. But that's not all God did. He named a bunch of stuff. So... Organizing logical structures and naming conventions becomes under the umbrella of work, which anybody who's done secretarial work can tell you is a nightmare. Uh, it's, it's, it's its own kind of difficult. Um, as well as, from the water and the air, God made fish and birds. From the earth, God made, let the earth spring forth in every creeping thing. So, he made heavens and earth from scratch, and then using dirt and water and air made the animals. So he made stuff from pre-existing materials. So whether or not you're assembling things from parts or making those parts from scratch from the raw materials or like I install stuff that somebody else made in a factory. Right? I don't make any of the copper wire. We buy the copper wire from the distributor. So very simply, on a, on a very basic level, we see work includes assembling things that are already have the raw materials for them, uh, moving things around, naming conventions. It's the whole gamut of physical and intellectual work. You know, scientists are uh, moving ideas and thoughts around and trying to connect that to the tangible world. Uh, what are the accountants? I was, <laughs> It's towards the end of my work day. My brain will occasionally turn off. Accountants are moving uh, numbers around, which are abstract ideas that relate to money. But I was going to say real money, but money's not real. It's paper. But it's immaterial value that we have to put numbers to to perform commerce. But it's largely an intellectual task of naming and organizing and arranging things. So this is all work. I will still joke about people behind desks not actually doing work and that people who work with their hands actually work for a living. But it's all in jest. Practically speaking, I'm fully aware that uh, shelving stuff in retail, uh, doing legal work as a lawyer, accountants, as well as somebody who's just laying bricks all day. This is all work and all falls under that umbrella. Now... That's our definition of work. It's very broad. It's literally any realm of human activity for the purpose and intent of reducing entropy, if we want to get extra fancy with it, right? We're increasing the organization and the purpose. We're imparting purpose into things when we build them. We build it for a reason, even if the reason is to simply be aesthetic and entertaining. That's still a reason we increase the organization and reduced entropy. All right. So what? Why, why does work matter? Well, Genesis 
there's a brief recap of the creation of man. And it says, And God put man in the garden to cultivate and keep, are the words that are used in most English translations. And I feel that they're a little bit soft. The Hebrew word used for both of those is the general word for work, see Genesis 2-2, and the general word for protect. Such a general word, the same root for protect is also used in the root for, um, for fort or fortification, the way fort has the word strong in it, forte. Um, the, the fort of a blade is the strong part of the blade. Forte is a strong musical note. Fort, uh, fortifications, right? The protect is the same way. It's the becomes the root word for uh, fortifications and castles uh, later. But that word protect, God put man in the garden to work and protect it. And you can see that evident as man's purpose because action movies. Action movies would not sell if they didn't on some deep level resonate with the heart of men. And every action movie, what is it? It's a hardworking guy who protects the innocent. That's, that's every action movie ever. And that's exactly what we see in Genesis 2.15. Is God put man in the garden to work and to protect. Two, for the purpose of. That's the preposition that means for the purpose of. Our purpose in life is to work and protect. What are we working for? What are we protecting? That's our job to figure out. That's why men feel so fulfilled when they work to provide for their family and they work to protect their family. You know, you put locks on the doors. You make sure that you're trained and armed to the best of your ability. Um, you know, even if it's just a baseball bat in the, you know, somebody goes thump in the night. Who goes downstairs holding a baseball bat? It's the man, the husband. That's just the primal, this is what I do. Awesome. That's our purpose. God put man in the garden to work and protect. There's a reason we feel this deep fulfillment when we do those things. All right. But work sucks now. Work is awful and hard and unpleasant. Why is that? Well, keep reading. It's the next chapter. We get cursed because of sin. In a way, sin tarnishes work. But we always forget the ramifications of work being our purpose given by God and a thing that God does. It's part of, it just said God rested, he worked, and he rested from his work. That means God was working. That means made in the image of God and reflecting his glory, we're going to then be expected to work. Even now, Jesus holds, upholds all things by the word of his power, right? Uh, it's, there's a Bible verse here. You, you'll find it. When you are looking at work and why it's unpleasant, you have to remember that work itself is a gift from God and one of the ways in which we bear His image. It's awful because that's our punishment, our discipline. God disciplines the sons whom He loves.
Genesis 3, mankind fails in his duty to protect his wife, and then he fails the integrity test of owning his own actions, and he blames his actions on others. The punishment for that, the discipline for that, is work sucks now. You will eat by the sweat of your brow, and you're going to work until you're dead. And you're going to die now. But specifically, though, our work is cursed. Thorns come up from the ground. The earth isn't going to produce um, produce food for us very easily. Ask any farmer, ask anyone who homesteads. It's a lot of work to get food from dirt. It's free food, but it's not easy. And that's a discipline from God, a punishment. But we always act like it's a bad thing, and so we should run away from it. That's Every time I talk about this, um, even with well-educated Christian folks, the answer is, but work is a curse! No. Work is a gift. Our work has been cursed. But that was, where did that curse come from? Satan didn't give it to us. God gave it to us. It was because that we sinned, so we tarnished our beautiful gift, but it the curse is given by God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no darkness at all or shifting shadow. I, I might have mixed a couple of like James and John there for the darkness and shifting shadow. But every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from above from the Father of lights. God gives us gifts. So that curse is a gift. Yeah, it's not fun. Not every gift is going to be fun. But suffering gives things meaning. If weights weren't heavy, you would never get strong. There is a truism that all parents say, hard work builds character. That's because it does. That's a reason that we feel fulfilled after we work hard. After you get done, even something as simple and mundane as mowing the lawn, you sit down with just regular ice-cold water is suddenly sweet. Everything tastes better. The air conditioning is amazing all of a sudden. Because of how unpleasant it is to mow a lawn. It's... It's given more meaning and becomes more educational now, even though it's less pleasant. And you don't escape the curse by sitting in an air-conditioned office all day. Anybody who works office work will tell you it's miserable and unpleasant. I don't work in an office, and that's by design. I could not handle being in an office all day. It would kill me inside. I don't mind climbing ladders and turning wrenches and screwdrivers and... Um, carrying heavy stuff upstairs, like that's that's fine. I'll do that all day. I, I could not handle sitting in an office. I would die inside. There are people that would die inside for having to carry heavy stuff up ladders all day. That's fine. They can sit in an office and deal with it, but it doesn't mean it's fun for them. And so that's the main point here: is that work isn't gonna be fun. That doesn't mean it's not rewarding, and that doesn't mean it's bad. Now we're coming around to my point that's a little sneaky. Here's some of the logical 
ramifications that God gave Adam work before. Genesis 2.15, God puts Adam in the garden to work and protect. Well, Adam doesn't have his work cursed as a part of the fall until Genesis 3. Uh, was it like 11 and 12 or 17 and 19 or something? Um, it's, it's about halfway through Genesis 3. What does that mean? That means Adam was not yet going to die. God gave an immortal man the job of working. That means work is eternal. That means retirement is unbiblical. Because it's not expected that you would just work for a while and then get to kick back and not do anything. Uh, there's a reason the, uh, the death rates in men are so high right after retirement. You'll have guys that'll work every day of their lives and they live till 90 and they're smoking a pack a day, case of bud every weekend, and they'll be on the job site in the, into their like 70s and 80s still working around the house every day until they're 90. And you have other guys that retire at 55 and die of a heart attack by 57. I'm just saying God made us to work. And it seems, looking at the general statistical trends to match, that the more you work, the longer you live. Kind of a use it or lose it. And I'm, once again, though, this started with the Bible, and now I'm using logic to simply extrapolate from what the Bible says, and I see does what I expect to see happen in the world around me. The Bible says man is made to work, and I look at the world around me and see men that stop working die very quickly. And I see men that keep working live for a long time. Some points to consider, but that started with the revelation of Scripture. Now, as we go on, a what does that mean for us as Christians, though, right? The, the gospel changes some things around. Christ came and uh, flipped the script a little bit. There is now no longer uh, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. How does that adjust things? Does it take everything old and just throw it in the garbage? And I got Jesus now. Uh, well, Jesus said he did not come to, uh, oh, I forget the word. He didn't come to remove the law or break it or tear it down. I forget the exact verb all of a sudden out of my brain. But to fulfill the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. So now as Christians, it's not that we are no longer beholden to the curse of Adam. Uh, it's that we're somehow now able to operate with Christ. Operate above all of it. It doesn't mean we don't work anymore. Uh, it means our work changes and our purpose and meaning in our work changes ever so slightly. Enter Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. In which he says, I'm going to have to paraphrase. Oh, three points. Mind your own business, work with your hands. And, oh, no, there was a third. 
Oh, it was the first one. Oh, work, living. Strive to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. For the purpose that you may behave properly to other, towards others, and uh, there we go. Finally came to stop. Now you may provide for others. That's right. And take care of yourself. Uh, that's right, and not be in need. That was the other, um, the rest of the phrase. That you may live, um, you may behave properly towards others, and that you may not be in need. There we go. It's First Thessalonians four eleven to twelve. Now that I can look at my um, my notes. Two seconds to make sure. Uh... Oh, right. So I wanted to end uh, talking about hard work. It makes you stronger, builds character. So hard work is a gift from God. Uh, the fact that the work is awful now is going to make us stronger as a curse from God who gives us gifts. The curse is a good thing. If your parent is trying to discipline you, is it better to run away and cry and go, No, I don't want to know! Or is it better to stoically take it like a man and stand there and allow the discipline to wash over you and find the lesson? So embrace hard work. Do not be afraid of difficult things and you'll find a blessing. Uh, so, uh, Paul then says, he tells them to live a quiet life, mind your own business, and then to work with your hands. And the, uh, so, a quiet life. We don't have to all be mega preachers. We don't have to all be pastors in ministry. He's telling them to live a quiet life. Just do, just do you. Relax. Live your life. It's okay. Not everybody has to be a missionary. Uh, some are called... This is, this is outside of the conversation of tithing and offering and how you financially support your local congregation. This is outside of that conversation. Um, that abuts somewhere. There's some overlap, but we're not, we're not addressing that. So don't think that it's out the window just because I'm not talking about it right now. Um, English has this bad habit of assuming that everything that's omitted is immediately in the negative. And uh, that's not the case. That's dumb. So, it's okay for us to just go to work every day and just be the best electrician ever. Um, I don't have to attend church all day every day. I don't have to go be a pastor all the time. I can just be an electrician or a plumber or a, a politician or a, a lawyer or whatever. And uh, it's, it's going to be fine. It's okay. And uh, literally mind your own business. That's the exact phrase. In, that's a literal translation of... Uh, Mind your business. Think on your business. But the word for business, Paul had access to more specific vocabulary. So he could have specified working with your hands, manual labor, or he could have specified uh, mercantile trade um, stuff. The word he used, business, could be anything. And I think that that's very intentional. Um, that's an intentional use of that word, that you're... Mind your business. Whatever it is that you're doing, be mindful, be purposeful, be intent. Um, you know, work to make it better. Work to do it well. Um, but stay in your lane. You know, if you're an electrician, just be an awesome electrician. If you're a plumber, be an awesome plumber. If you're a politician, be honest. And then once you're thrown out of the political realm, you can go do uh, an honest trade. Uh, work with your hands. Obviously, Paul's primarily a scholar. Uh, even though he is a, um, 
He's a tent maker as well, so he's uniquely qualified to make this assertion that he's both you know intellectual and uh, manual trades guy. Uh, when he says, work with your hands, go do your own work, right? Don't just sit back and let other people do work for you and not do anything. Um, you know, for as a business owner, don't be on a beach somewhere, right? Be involved. Work with your own hands. And uh, the whole purpose, right? Why are we doing any of this? To be able to provide for others. To be able to make sure that nobody is helping us if we're capable of helping ourselves. To not be in need ourselves, but to also be able to, to give to others. Because um, in general, you don't want to be a drain on the church resources. You don't want to be a drain on society. You want to actually be able to give back. Or at least, at least pull your own weight. Um, I don't remember if it's in Thessalonians or, or Colossians or somewhere in Ephesians, but there's a, a reference that Paul talks about thieves. Um, you know, instead of stealing, stop being a thief. Instead, work hard so that you can take care of yourself and provide for others. Um, this is our, our, our job, right? As Christians, we should emulate God who works to provide, you know, he upholds all things by the word of his power, right? It's by God's power the sun rises every day. You continue to have oxygen, trees, and plants continue to grow. Uh, all of this continues to function and run because uh, God said it would. Uh, and there's a fun verse in Proverbs 30, 8 through 9. I actually have it transcribed in the book here. I'm going to read it real quick. Was it 57? So, uh, there we go. Uh, this is a biblical depiction of what I like to call Goldilocks finances. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verses 8 and 9. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Uh, excellent. Goldilocks finances, right? That if you get too rich, it's really easy to get stupid and forgetful and soft. Uh, but if you get too desperate, it's easy to justify lying and stealing and conniving. Because, man, it's just what I got to do to get by. Uh, and you want a middle path. You want a balance so that your needs are met, but so that your needs aren't so met, you get soft. And I think that's a good personal goal. Not that you would deny a blessing. Obviously, God blesses you to the degree that you're able. And um, But it's for the purpose of giving to other people, right? So you make sure once your needs are met, everything beyond that, in the uh, old medieval sense, gets called largesse, where you give of your excess to others. That's why you were given the excess, as you prove to be an able manager of what you were given. And uh, so now let's bring this to the context of Christ, because uh, everything properly comes. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says almost plainly that Jesus is the one who cuts our paychecks. You know, you're not paid by your boss, you're paid by the boss. And that paycheck is coming out of the cattle that's on a thousand hills, not out of somebody else's bank account. So when you work, you have to work with your whole heart as unto the Lord, because he's the one who's actually hiring you. And uh, just you, the other guys are in the way. And uh, if you do that, you will find better fulfillment, better enjoyment of the world around you, um, because you'll be in harmony with God's plan for all creation as well as your life in specific.
And uh, that's my a brief summary of my personal theology of work. I call ergology. Uh, keep saying it. it. It's catchy. It's catching on. And uh, once again, this is a summary of my chapter towards a biblical ergology from my book, The Blue Collar Blind Spot, because the biggest platforms with the loudest voices have lost the common touch in mainstream evangelical media, and they are inadvertently forgetting blue collar. And they skew white collar hard in their language and their cultural outreach. And this has left blue collar workers essentially as an unreached people group. And uh, you just need to backpedal a little bit and refocus on what's important. That's all. And uh, do that by having a biblical ergology pastors. And that's a good step towards uh, doing what's right. And that's it. That's all I got. Don't take my word for it. Do your own research. I will have all the verses I referenced as well as a couple I didn't reference inside of the description. There's a link to buy my book in the description. Um, if you are a plumber, you'll find it edifying to know that your work has purpose before God and that Jesus himself worked a trade for 20 years, essentially, before spending only three years being a traveling minister. Uh, from around age 10 to around age uh, 30... He was a carpenter who just worked to provide for his family for 20 years. And then, you know, taught everybody for three years and died for the sins of mankind. Just like, almost an afterthought right on the end. Um, I jest. Please, relax, everybody. Uh, so that's all I got. Uh, your work is awesome. If you're a plumber, uh, you'll find this book edifying. And if you're a pastor, you'll find this book enlightening if you have lost the common touch yourself. And uh, forgot what people that work hard with their hands and come up tired every day and they work odd hours. Uh, you forgot what world they live in. Uh, it's not all water coolers and uh, cubicles. It's ladders and porta johns and 7-Elevens and, uh, and work vans. You know, this is our life. So, that's it. And uh, that's all I got. Do your own research. Check out my book if you're interested. And I will see you next time. Godspeed.